What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. I hope you're having an amazing week so far. This podcast is going to be a little bit different than normal. Rather than just pick one or two topics to focus on and dive deep in, we're going to touch surface level on five to 10 different topics. I want to talk about Lionel Messi potentially heading to MLS or Saudi Arabia. I want to talk about Mike Trout's new golf course and the business behind it. Tiger Woods split up from his caddy. We'll run through that. The Florida Panthers and their ticket sales strategy in the playoffs. Stephen Curry's TV impact, Aaron Rodgers' impact in New York, and much more. Let's get right to it. All right, the first topic I want to talk about is Lionel Messi potentially leaving PSG and signing with another club. So for those that are not caught up on what's going on, Lionel Messi has been suspended for two weeks by PSG. It's actually the first suspension that they've handed down since Qatari acquired the club in 2011. So over a decade, there's been no player suspensions for conduct detrimental to the team. Lionel Messi went on a trip to Saudi Arabia to fulfill obligations for his partnership with the country, and they got mad. They said, hey, look, you're not allowed to go do this. He was already on his way there, and he couldn't do anything else about it. So he stayed. He came back. It was an unauthorized trip out of the country from PSG, and he's been suspended two weeks. Now, obviously, it seems like this has kind of been in the works for a while. There's been reports that he's been looking at other clubs. Saudi's been interested in him. He's had talks with MLS and other clubs like that. So it's not really surprising to hear that he's in hot water with PSG. They're not happy. He's not happy. And it's gotten to the point where there's now a suspension. Now, this was reported this morning that he's going to be leaving the club at the end of the season. That's like a definite report. It's going to be happening according to the reports. But the question is, where does he go next, right? Messi is still very much a good player. He's off the World Cup win. His name is bigger than it's ever been before. And he has the opportunity to significantly impact attendance, sales, valuations, whatever it is for whatever club he ends up going to. So I've been talking about this for what feels like years at this point, And other people have mentioned it too. But Inter-Miami is an obvious landing spot for several reasons. The club is partially owned by David Beckham, who's an international superstar who knows Messi very well. He was actually hanging out with him last week, which you take it for what it's worth, but he was at PSG and was taking photos with him and hanging out with the team. That one makes a lot of sense. If you look at what happened to David Beckham, David Beckham made over $500 million from his deal with the MLS. When he came over from Europe and came to the MLS, the MLS was nothing. It was literally nothing. He has since grown his arrival at MLS. MLS attendance grew 40% since then. And their media deal at the time in 2006 was $8 million annually. Today, it's $250 million. That's over a 3,000% increase in media rights. It's obviously been really impressive, the growth that MLS has done since. They've added a bunch of franchises. The fees are now getting up to three, four, five hundred million for new franchises coming in. It has grown a lot. Now, Lionel Messi is not going to be able to get the same deal, right? The deal that David Beckham got, for those that don't know the specifics, is he had the right to buy an expansion franchise at any point in the future for a set price at the time when he got to the league. He exercised the option 10 years later. It ended up being a significant discount, hundreds of millions of dollars of a discount to the current valuation of what clubs were going for. And he got to pick his city, which he picked Miami, which is objectively better than some other cities in the MLS market today. That can't happen for Messi, just given where the league is at today. Now, they could figure out a way to craft a different deal that might be valuable, right? There's a couple of expansion teams coming up. Maybe he gets a big share of something in there. Maybe he's a partner with an existing team. Maybe he gets equity in the overall league, something like that, right? Like there's options. But then right after I started tweeting about some of this stuff and saying that Messi should come to the US, news broke that Saudi Arabia has offered him $400 million annually. Now, not only is that the most money in the history of the sport for a contract, I've never seen a contract bigger than that. That must be the most money in the history of any sport. 
but it's $200 million more than Cristiano Ronaldo's current deal in Saudi Arabia. So just for context, $400 million a year, not over the lifetime of the contract, $400 million a year. Now, the way that some of these contract works, that's going to be a little bit of base pay, right? Compensation just for playing. And there's commercial agreements that go on top of that, your image rights and things like that, right? So it's a little convoluted as to what that actually equals, but the headline number is $400 million a year. I think personally, that probably puts MLS out of contention. I don't think any of the clubs are going to be able to pay him anywhere close to that. Even if you start giving up equity in franchises, right? You could give him an expansion franchise, but the money and capital required to run these teams and build stadiums and do all that other stuff, he's not going to do it alone. He's going to bring in other investors. Those expansion teams will call it are worth four or 500 million based on the floor of MLS valuations today. If he brings in a 50-50 partner, still 200 million, right? Like you're giving up 200 million, obviously to the MLS to get him over here. You have to decide if that's worth it. But at the end of the day, it's still less than Saudi's offer. I think it's going to be a story that we're going to talk about for the next few months until this season is over. And we'll see what happens. It would obviously be tremendous to get Messi in Miami in MLS. For those that don't know, he owns multiple pieces of real estate in Miami already, apartments and even a house. And he comes to Miami often. There's videos online of him on social media just getting absolutely mobbed on South Beach. So it is not surprising at all that he would be considering Miami between the connections with David Beckham, the amount of money that can be made and his connection to South Florida already. But Saudi's offering a lot of money. I don't know if that's going to be changing his mind or not. All right, second up, I want to talk about Mike Trout's golf course. We'll run through this one quickly because I already wrote about it in the newsletter this week. But Mike Trout is one of the best players in Major League Baseball. He's 31 years old. He's won three MVP awards. He's actually the first player since Ken Griffey Jr. in 2014 to be given his own signature shoe from Nike. And he has the biggest contract in MLB history, $426 million over 12 years. The next biggest contract is $365 million. Now, obviously, his teammate Shohei Otani will probably surpass that this year, depending on the size and length of his current deal that he gets. But right now, Mike Trout has the biggest contract in Major League Baseball. But here's the part you didn't know. He's an avid golfer. So you might have seen some of these videos online. If you have not, I recommend looking on YouTube or Twitter or just Google and type in Mike Trout swing top golf. And he posts these videos from time to time of him just absolutely crushing balls at top golf. He's 6'2", 235 pounds. He claims he has a seven to eight handicap. He's got a hole in one before. And in one of the top golf videos, you can actually see the screen. It says he has about 150 club head speed, mile per hour club head speed which is very, 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 very impressive. That's like PGA Tour level club head seat. Obviously, he's not hitting all of these straight. His short game isn't there. His putting isn't there, right? He's not a, a PGA Tour level player, but he plays a lot. He says that he plays actually every day when they're on an MLB road trip and he doesn't have a game. So every time they're traveling and they don't have a game, he finds a golf course and he plays. He actually plays so much that he brings video equipment with him to the range to watch it. And then he sets up time to go do more sessions so he can try to get better, right? He's not just going out there and hitting balls for the fun of it. He's trying to get good at golf. And what happens now? So he's taking this to the next level. He's doing a multi-million dollar investment, building his own golf course with none other than Tiger Woods. So this is how it happened, right? He says that he was looking at a golf course investment for a while now. His wife does wedding planning and they want to do something together where they can build this whole venue that has wedding planning, restaurants, golf courses, spas, clubhouse, weight room, all that kind of stuff. And he had a deal right before COVID, but for one thing or another, things just weren't going his way. He said he got a weird feeling about it and he backed out. Then during COVID, he got someone sent him an Instagram uh, reel of a drone shot of a golf course being built in New Jersey. So he sent it to his brother who works with him on the business side. And he said, hey, can you check this out for me? 
his brother set up a call with the two people that were running that project, the development project, this guy, John Aruga and his wife, Lori. Essentially, they were a developer and they own a company in Vineland, New Jersey, which is 10 minutes away from where Trout grew up. And they were building a golf course. It was like a nine-hole golf course. It wasn't going to be this huge thing, but it's nice. And they were going to build it. It was under construction while the pandemic was going on, but everything got halted. So Trout came in and he said, look, I'll provide some capital. I'll be a partner on this thing and we'll get this thing back up to speed. I can provide connections, obviously, but let's do it bigger. Let's not do nine holes. Let's do an 18-hole championship golf course. And we will see if we can build this thing up to be something massive. And what happened? So he partnered with Tiger Woods. He called up Tiger Woods and said, hey, I want your design firm to design this golf course. They agreed. And now it's built into this big thing. So it's called Trout National, the reserve, and it's set to open in 2025. It's going to have a golf course, 18 holes. It'll have a short course, a putting course, a par three signature hole with something called Mike's Choice, whatever that means. It'll have practice facilities, clubhouse, five-star hotel, wedding chapel, and restaurant. So it's going to be a full service country club. You'll be able to have everything you want there from weddings to golf to working out, whatever it is. So this is fully in the works. I put in the newsletter, if you haven't seen it already, there's some pictures. One of the holes look literally almost complete. Obviously the full facility isn't done yet, but one of the interesting things here is like what happens from this, right? Like Mike Trout obviously doesn't need the money from one specific golf venue for this thing to be a success. Most golf courses actually operate as nonprofits in the United States because of the historically low profit margins. And about 25% of golf courses don't even make any money at all right now. So his golf course is going to have to bring in like $1.5 to $2 million in annual revenue to be profitable. And then you're looking at like a six to eight times revenue multiple or EBITDA multiple, which really isn't like that entertaining for someone who's making 400 plus million dollars over the next decade, right? So why is he doing this? My guess, and this is pure speculation at this point, is that he's looking to build this into something bigger than just one course, right? If you think about the name, even just the name, Trout National hyphen the reserve, right? That makes it sound like they're open to having other courses on top of that, right? Trout National, the reserve, Trout National, whatever. But he can add other courses on top of this. Maybe it becomes a portfolio of courses at some point. And then what have we seen outside of golf, right? We've seen a trend emerge where these non-golfer, these non-golf athletes are launching products and signing golf-related partnership deals. Michael Jordan has Jordan brand golf products. Stephen Curry has the Curry brand golf products. He's also an ambassador for Callaway. Aaron Rodgers and Gareth Bale are team tailor-made members. Justin Herbert recently signed a deal with Callaway. Charles Barkley has a deal with Ping, right? So we're getting into this world where regular athletes that like to play golf are getting sponsored and releasing products and stuff like that for golf players. And I think that's what Mike Trout's going to do. You're telling me that Nike won't want to do a deal with him where he starts releasing golf stuff? They absolutely will. And if they don't want to do it, someone else will, or he'll do it on his own. So we'll see what happens there. But my guess is this is just step number one. Mike Trout's interest in golf is only growing from here, and we will see what happens. This episode is sponsored by SoFi. SoFi is the all-in-one finance app, helping you bank, borrow, invest, and save. SoFi's mission is to help members achieve financial independence and realize their ambition, all in one app. It's the single app you need to get your money right. I'm a SoFi member, and I love it. SoFi is legit, and they comply with the strict regulatory standards of the FDIC, so you can be sure that your money is safe. Visit SoFi.com slash Joe Pompliano to learn more. That's SoFi.com slash Joe Pompliano. All right, let's get back to this episode. So Tiger Woods had surgery the other week, and he's going to be out for quite a long time now. He was obviously in pain at the Masters. People saw him limping around. He couldn't even barely walk. And there's a bunch of other problems going on from the car crash and things outside of that. So he has barely been playing as it is. He said he was only going to be playing in the four majors and maybe one or two other tournaments from here on out. And that's not even happening now because of his injuries. And now this week we learned that his caddy, Joe Lagaba, is leaving him. 
Now, this was an amicable split. He actually reached out to Tiger and said, Patrick Cantley wants me to come on his bag. He's the number four player in the world. It gives me an opportunity to caddy full time again. Can I do it? And Tiger gave him his blessing and said, you'd be an idiot not to take this. Now, I want to talk about this for a couple specific reasons. One, Wakaba is one of the best caddies in the game. He's been with Tiger since 2011, I think, so 12 years in a row now. And he has been incredibly loyal to Tiger. He's turned down many other jobs out of respect and loyalty just to Tiger. Now, the way this typically works is caddies get some kind of set pay for each tournament that they work, and then they get a percentage of the winnings if their player wins. Now, Tiger hasn't played a ton over the last decade. And even the tournaments that he has played and won, when you add them up over the last decade and divide by the amount of tournaments and the number of years, it's not like LaCava would have been making a killing, right? So it's been well known around the golf community that Tiger Woods has been paying him a fixed salary to basically sit on the sidelines while he tries to get healthy and so forth. And they seem to have a really good relationship, right? They're friendly on the course. There's this cool story in the New York Post where LaCava talks about how Tiger Woods gifted him a very rare Rolex when they won the Masters in 2019. He actually hasn't even worn it. It's still in the box. And there's another story that he told the New York Post that was Tiger Woods and him were at a tournament together and he found out that it was his daughter's birthday, Joe's daughter's birthday, and him and his wife were in, or his daughter and his wife were in Florida together celebrating. Tiger said, go have them stay at my beach house. I already called everyone up. They're going to have lunch on the yacht and they're going to stay the weekend there, right? So like it's stuff like that, that they obviously have a good relationship. But the second part of all of this is like, what does this mean for Tiger, right? Like, is he done? Is he not done? If you're letting your caddy go with someone else who Tiger has historically not liked that, right? Like any caddy that has not shown him immediate and 100% loyalty, he has ditched and he has gone the other way. So like this is a relationship where LaCava sat around for a while. And to me, it feels like one, Tiger's probably not going to be playing for a long time. But two, he may not be playing a lot ever again, right? We knew it was four before this. Is it one? Is it two? Is it only one or two more years? And now he's giving LaCava the out where he's saying, hey, look, you have the opportunity to go work for the number four overall ranked player in the world, Patrick Cantley. And whether, you know, people like him or not, there's been comments about his slow play recently, but it's obviously an incredible opportunity. And my guess is that there's a larger story at play here when it comes to Tiger Woods. All right. The next thing I want to talk about is the Florida Panthers. So the Florida Panthers are in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs right now. They're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they did something interesting earlier this week. Now, I want to be careful about how I phrase this kind of stuff because it's actually more common than people realize. And like it got hit with a headline and everyone ran with it. And the reality is what happened was the Florida Panthers geographically limited who could purchase tickets to their home games, right? So they're obviously located in Florida as the Florida Panthers. And what they said is only American citizens, people that live in America today can buy tickets to our game. And essentially what everyone took from that was we don't want Canadians attending the game. The Toronto fans are obviously very passionate. They can overtake an arena. And Florida did not want to look stupid and fill the arena with Toronto fans. So this actually happens a lot more than people realize. It happens across sports. Many sports do this. They geographically limit tickets to certain states or certain areas or whatever it is. A lot of times it's done so people living in those areas have the first get a ticket. It's not necessarily done to limit the other people. In some cases it is, right? I think when the Ram or when the 49ers played the Rams, they limited tickets to Rams fans in the Los Angeles area because 49ers fans are relatively close and can take over. They have taken over the stadium. So look, this is different because one, you can still buy tickets on the secondary market. Sure, you have to pay a little bit more, but you can get into the game. It's not like they have a, a monopoly on who can actually go to the game. They're they're allowing other fans to go. But two, it happens more than people realize. I think the difference with this one was that Florida was like bragging about it to some degree. They were like, not only did we do it to all of America, right? Like everyone in America still buy tickets. That's weird. That doesn't happen normally. And then two, they were bragging about it. They were telling people, we're limiting it. We don't want Toronto in here. Ha. 
And it's like, oh yeah, it's kind of like a rivalry type deal, kind of funny, but it's also like incredibly soft in some degree too. It's like, come on, what are we doing here? Sports are supposed to be fun. There's supposed to be an atmosphere where people are getting after each other and yelling and screaming and doing all these different things. So they're now allowed, they switched the policy. You're not allowed to buy tickets. That changed after a day or two. I don't know if it was the plan all along, or I don't know if people pressured them into doing that, but that has changed. And it's something to watch out for. There's teams that are already doing this. Maybe they get more aggressive over time as people are traveling. Obviously, a lot of people from Canada live in Florida and so forth during the winter. And uh, it's just one of those things that is an interesting story and something to keep an eye on as we continue in this sports business world. Okay, one of the other things I want to talk about is Tuple. One is Steph Curry. Steph Curry is electric right now. He lit up 50-point game, game seven against the Sacramento Kings to win that series. Now they're playing the Lakers. They lost game one, but it was a great game and they'll go on to game two now, right? They're trying to get to the Western Conference Finals and ultimately the championship. But game seven against the Warriors, or the Warriors versus the Kings, averaged nearly 10 million viewers on ABC. And I want to give you some context about just how good that is. That makes it the most watched NBA playoffs first round game in 24 years. 24 years, right? 10 million viewers, most watched game. But the more impressive part about this is just how impactful Stephen Curry is. And when you hear this stat, keep it in mind that Stephen Curry is not considered the face of the NBA by many people, whether it's LeBron or other people like that. Stephen Curry is one of the best players in the league. He's obviously great, all of this stuff. But I don't think many people consider him the face of the league today. But I think you need to, because listen to this. There's 27 NBA games that have averaged or drawn over 14 million viewers since 2015. So since 2015, over the last eight years, there's been 27 NBA games that have drawn over 14 million viewers. Stephen Curry has played in all 27. Every single one of those 27 games has involved Stephen Curry. Now that includes NBA Finals games, it includes Christmas Day, it includes other playoff games. So there's other people, right? LeBron has been in some of those when he was with the Cavs and other people like that. You, you could say Clay Thompson has been in them, whatever it is, right? But Stephen Curry has played in every single one of them. And I tweeted this out and I said, the Steph effect is real. And that's because I think he has to be considered one of, if not the face of the league currently. Look, he's getting older, but LeBron's even older. LeBron's play is probably going to be falling off over the next year or two. It feels like we've been saying this forever, but father time is undefeated. It has to happen at some point. It might even be happening right now in the playoffs. We'll see. But ultimately, Stephen Curry is the face of the league right now from a ratings perspective that is indisputable based on the evidence that we have. And it's really impressive what he is doing right now. And if you look at just his impact on the Warriors, we talked about this the other day. That team was acquired for $450 million in 2010. They're now worth $7 billion. How much is he worth? You tell me, but it seems like a lot. All right, off of that, in the same mindset as talking about athletes and how much they're worth to individual franchises, we've all heard about Aaron Rodgers by now going from Green Bay to the New York Jets. This feels like we've been talking about this for months from when the deal was first announced on the Pat McAfee show that he was going to be going to when the trade actually got done right before the NFL draft. But he's in New York. He seems, by all accounts, to be having a hell of a time. He's going to OTAs. He's playing with the wide receivers. He's even comparing Garrett Wilson to Devontae Adams and saying how incredible he is. He's gushing about his teammates. He's at MSG three out of four nights so far this week, attending Rangers playoff games, Knicks playoff games. He seems to be having a good time. But on the business side of things, this is a little insight into why some of these deals make sense. Not only are they obviously trying to win playoff games and Super Bowls ultimately as a Jet fan and Jets owner and all that kind of stuff, right? Like the team wants to win 1000% and getting good players obviously helps you do that. But it also helps the business side. And there was this interesting stat from Sportico I saw the other day. It said the New York Jets have seen a 400% increase in season ticket and luxury suite sales since the Aaron Rodgers trade, a 400% increase. Now we don't have the real numbers here. So people were joking online saying, yeah, if you have one ticket, one season ticket and you go to four or 400%, woo, 
That's not the case, obviously. Business is booming. The merchandise sales are obviously up a ton too. Sponsorships you imagine are increasing as well right alongside that. And suite and luxury ticket sales are increasing as well. So this is part of the, the, the gig here, right? It's like, you're obviously paying him a lot of money. You're giving up assets. But if that increases the value of your franchise, if it increases sponsorships, if it increases season ticket sales, if it increases merchandise to an equal or greater amount, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer, right? You may be sacrificing some of the upside from a long-term perspective with the growth of the franchise. But if you can win an NFL championship, if you win a Super Bowl, you don't give a shit who you gave up, right? You, you don't care literally at all. So my guess is that this is only going to get more profound as they start playing. If the Jets win games, more merchandise will be sold, more season tickets will be sold, more sponsorships will be sold, and so forth. Winning cures everything. All right, two more things I want to talk about. One is the top 10 highest paid athletes in the world. So Forbes does this annual list, and look, I, I look at it, I like it, I think it's relatively accurate, but a lot of these lists, you really don't know, right? We've come to the conclusion that they're like semi-accurate, some of them are close, and then some of them are maybe not close. But they rank the top 10 athletes based on earnings over the last calendar year. Number one in the world was Cristiano Ronaldo, $136 million last year. Messi was two, 130, and then it goes down the list. Mbappe, LeBron James, Canelo Alvarez, two golfers. Dustin Johnson at six, Phil Mickelson at seven, Stephen Curry at eight, Roger Federer at nine, and Kevin Durant at 10. So a couple of things I want to talk about with this list very quickly. Saudi's all over it. Saudi is all over it, right? One, Ronaldo, obviously, with his deal is Saudi money. Qatar is, is messy at number two, but then you look at the other players too. Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, that's live golf. These golfers should not be in that total, right? They, they're making all of their money on the course this year. None of that's coming through sponsorships. It's all through guaranteed payments that were provided through live golf. So the influence of Saudi and what they're doing from a sports perspective is paramount on the top earners this year. One of the other things I thought was really interesting was Roger Federer. Look, Roger Federer has built one of the best brands in sports. I think the only person that compares to him and is actually probably better is Michael Jordan. I don't think anyone else has built a better brand than Roger Federer. And people don't think about it like that because, you know, he doesn't have Jordan brand clothing. He doesn't have all that stuff. But he has these incredible partnerships that afford him $100 million essentially in endorsement income every single year. So, for instance, he made $95 million last year, according to Forbes. He played in one tournament at the LeVar Cup. Basically, he was retiring. He didn't make any money. All $95 million, 100% of that money came from endorsements. That's absolutely incredible. It's more money than anyone else on the list by a wide margin. And it's extremely, extremely, extremely impressive. These top 10 earners collectively made $1.1 billion last year. That's a 12% increase over last year's top 10 list. And it's 5% higher than the previous record of $1.06 billion in 2018. The sports business is booming. There's more money being thrown around than ever before from a contract standpoint, from a sponsorship standpoint, from an endorsement standpoint, all of that stuff. The sports business is booming. All right. The last thing I want to talk about today quickly is the Oakland A's. We've gone into the move. We've talked about why they're moving, where they're moving, what could potentially happen, the money behind it and all of that. So I don't want to get into all that. The thing I want to talk about is what's happening now. So I posted this video on Twitter on Wednesday that showed the attendance at one of their games. The Oakland A's played the Mariners on Tuesday night, and they said that there were 2,583 fans in attendance. One, that's clearly not true. There's a video of the stadium, and there's a picture of the stadium. And the way this works is like kind of funky. The, the, the MLB, NFL, NBA, all of them, they include different things in their attendance number when they report them after every game. My guess is that this includes this number includes a lot of season ticket holders that just simply don't show up. It includes partnership tickets that were bought or handed out or whatever of people that are not there. 
and so forth, right? So there, there's a little bit of funkiness with the numbers because in the video, I mean, there's a picture too. You can literally count the people if you want to. There's not more than 500 people at this game. There's no shot. The stadium is huge. It is completely empty. You can count the people and there's not 2,500 people there. But the reason why this is important is because you've heard over the last few years, I'm sure you've seen it, the Oakland A's attendance compared to their AAA affiliate in Las Vegas. And people talk about it. Oh, the AAA team gets more fans. They get more fans. And that's true. But now their AA and single A affiliates are getting more fans too. 2,500 fans is less than their AAA, AA, and single A affiliates averaged last season. This has become an absolute disaster. Everyone is to blame. Everyone from John Fisher, from the Oakland A's, Dave Kavall, Major League Baseball, the city, the state, all of that. Everyone is to blame. This has become an absolute disaster. The team is openly saying, we're not going to invest in the product. We're going to lose a bunch of games, a bunch of games. We're going to be one of the worst teams in MLB history. Someone joked on Twitter, you have a better chance of seeing raw sewage or a possum at a game than seeing the athletics win. And that might even be the truth, right? Like we've seen these stories before and it's only going, going to get worse. This team cannot play in Oakland until the stadium is ready in 2026, 27, 28, right? Until they're moved to Las Vegas, they have to find something else. If they go play in the AAA affiliate park, that might be better. I don't know. But these games are going to get ugly. Now, one nuance to all of this is that the Warriors were playing that night against the Lakers and it rained a little bit during the day. It was clear skies during the game. But obviously that has some level of impact, right? People are at home watching the basketball game and then two, people don't go because it's raining, they think it's wet, whatever. But at the end of the day, 500 fans at a Major League Baseball game is embarrassing. It's really, really, really bad. Major League Baseball should have never let it get to this point. And now they're essentially awarding an owner that has done everything possibly wrong you could imagine. Everything wrong, everything wrong. He got handed the team, then he didn't invest in the team. He hasn't partnered with any of the real estate projects they've been trying to do. He's been really difficult to work with. And ultimately, it's been pretty obvious that his end goal was always to move to the team to a more lucrative market where he could expand the valuation and then probably eventually sell the team if we're being honest. So maybe that day comes, maybe it doesn't, but things have gotten ugly in Oakland and it is sad to see. All right, that's it for today. I hope everyone has an amazing week. We'll be doing one more podcast before the weekends. Make sure to share this episode with your friends if you enjoyed it. Subscribe to the podcast feed wherever you're listening to this podcast currently. And thank you so much for listening. As always, have a great day.